Hey, it is awesome having you all this morning. Uh, just uh, let me, I need to say this up front. Uh, I played softball this, this uh, year, uh, reluctantly, and I uh, hadn't played in a long time, and I had one simple goal, do not get hurt. Don't blow out an arm, do anything like that. And I succeeded until yesterday morning. Uh, I tweaked a knee, cracked my back, and got a cramp on my leg. So, if I fall down in a crumpled heap this morning, it's not because Satan's attacking me, all right? It's because my back goes out, and I'll just preach laying down, okay? So, don't be alarmed. I'll, I'll get up sometime next week. Hey, uh, grab your programs. We've got, we got a lot of stuff to cover for you this morning. And, uh, and I know you're, you're surprised that uh, I'm preaching a villain. Um, yeah, I have not done that before today. Um, so, uh, well, actually, that's a lot because I did this already this morning. So, uh, we're going to have, uh, I'm going to try to help you understand a little bit about uh, Satan. There's not much I can say that you don't know, but we'll, we'll investigate that in just a minute. So, um, let's see. Oh, that's a long ways down. Alrighty. We, we, we have this idea and notion of, and probably this schema, if you will, of, uh, of what Satan looks like. Okay, in our minds. You know, if I say the devil, you fabricate a thought. So th- this is, you're going to see in just a second, what I think to be probably one of the greatest depictions of Satan in our modern time. Okay, so let's watch this up on the screens real quick. you do not know what that scene is from. You need some therapy, seriously. Uh, that is from the Lord of the Rings trilogy from J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit. And uh, that is the Balrog uh, who is fighting Gandalf. Um, I think that is probably, uh, modern day, that's probably one of the best depictions that we have of what Satan could potentially possibly look like. But in the story, uh, the Balrog is, is just called a demon. And so could you imagine what the prince of demons would look like, you know, uh, in a situation like that? And the line that he says is probably one of my favorite all-time movie lines in every, any, any movie I've ever seen. You shall not pass. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So uh, I, I don't know what I can say that you don't already know about Satan, so I'm going to give you just a few things uh, that, that you probably already have an understanding of. Uh, the devil, the evil one, Satan himself, uh, he is the serpent who tricked Eve to feed an apple to Adam as Adam stood right beside her and didn't say a word. Ladies, this is all your fault. Man, you didn't do the right thing by just saying no either. So uh, you're not 
not, not to blame anyway. He's the one who inquired about Job in the Old Testament and brought a lot of destruction to Job's life. He is the one known as the accuser who accuses uh, people day and night before God, found in Revelation chapter 12. He is the only person to tempt whom? Okay, we'll try it again. He is the only person to tempt whom? Thank you. He is the one who gave Paul, as Paul writes, a thorn in his flesh. He is the one who battles for your life. He is the one who lost the battle of power in heaven and got kicked straight to hell. He is the one Christ ultimately and for all time defeated through what? The death and resurrection. Yeah, we, you should probably know that, okay? He is the one that we blame when things don't go our way. He is the ultimate oppressor. And we live in this constant state of tension uh, because of him, and we can either stand up to that tension and that oppression, or we just live with it and give in to it. He is the one who is alive and well trying to, uh, trying to get us. Trying to make us forget that he's a defeated creature with no power over us, only the power that we give him. He is real, and so is hell. So today, in your program, I've got a, a few realities that I want you to really understand uh, about, about Satan. The first is this. The first reality is this. You cannot underestimate the power of Satan. You cannot underestimate the power of Satan. He is real, and he meddles in our lives, and he creates confusion and mess, and he makes us absolutely crazy. He is constantly tinkering in this world. His true nature is to bring confusion and deception and lies to our lives. Jesus uh, says these words in John chapter 8 about Satan. And he's addressing a crowd who, who doesn't believe who Jesus is, or doesn't understand who Jesus is. And this is, and this is what he says about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's talking about the devil. He, was, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. If you remember last week, I, I mentioned the word character is actually a theological term. And it's found in the Westminster Dictionary. And it says this, Character are features and traits forming a person's nature... Thus, a clue to moral or ethical qualities. It includes ways of acting, responses, and ways of perceiving situations. It is the enduring personality on which morality is evaluated. So, from the mouth of Jesus, we get a glimpse into the character of Satan. He is the father of what? Lies. Lies. Deception. Untruth. See, there, there's a lot of problems with Satan, but one of the problems is this, is that he is the ruler of this world that we live in. Do you realize that? He's the one that, that, that has power over the kingdom of the world. Christ has power over the kingdom of God, but Satan has a power over this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, and it's up on your screen, it's in your notes. 
says this, Paul's writing. He says, Satan, who is the God? Notice that's a small g. Okay? Small g. That's very important. Big g be something different. Small g, very important. Satan, who is the small g God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, for many of us, we have gone through a season in our lives, I know I have, when I, I didn't believe or understand in Jesus. So my mind was, was blinded by whom? Yeah. He blinds our minds. Now, if you have lived there and now you're on the other side and you have an, an understanding, Christ has unveiled himself to you, has removed the blinders, so to speak, so now you have a greater reality of who Christ is. But the reality is, Satan binds our minds. He puts those blinders over us and it inhibits our understanding. You cannot underestimate his power. He is real. And he creates worry. And he meddles. And he blinds our minds. And he really can get after us at times, causing destruction and pain in our lives. That's a truth. But there's another reality about Satan you need to understand. The second one is this. This is next on your blanks. You shouldn't overestimate the power of Satan either. Did you get that? I mean, you, you can't underestimate him because he's a, oh man, he's a jerk. But you can't overestimate him either. And let me show you why. As I have come to read scripture, there are some things that, that are pretty clear to me, especially in Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. If you want to write these down, I got a lot of scripture that may not be on your notes, but jot them down. But in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, we learn this truth. Paul writes, verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. That's a challenge, isn't it? For you were dead, but now you have new life, Paul writes. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of of God's grace. Paul writes in 15, well then, he says, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? No, he says. Then he writes these words in verse 16. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to what? Obey. You can be a slave to what? You say it out loud, it's, it's okay. That's the S word in church. You can be a slave to what? Sin. Which leads to what? Yeah. Or, you can choose to obey whom? Which leads to what? Hmm. I don't know about you, but that puts the onus back on us, doesn't it? That stinks. And we got a choice. Paul continues, he says, thank God. 
Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Oh, it's a choice. Chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, he writes this. And because you belong to him, Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just, uh, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Do you, do you understand the power of those verses? You are free. Do you realize that? You are completely set free. You are free from the bondage of sin. Jesus came and lived and died to remove that bondage from you. You are free to choose to live a life of righteousness. You are free to choose to not live a life of righteousness. You are free to follow closely to Christ. You are free to say, get behind me, Satan. You shall not pass. You ain't getting up in here. You have freedom in that. You have the power over the devil. Some of you are looking at me like, I didn't know that. But it's true. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 puts us into perspective just a little bit. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of the authority of God that he gave them, but they left the place where they belonged. Okay, this is a conversation about how the devil ended up being the devil and all that. The writer says, God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Ultimately, hear this, the devil is a defeated creature clawing at your life to gain control and create turmoil. He is strong and persistent. God gave us the freedom to choose. Now, now if I was God, you wouldn't have a choice. I would command you and make you love me. I would make you obey my teaching, but that's not the way God works. We are free to choose. And we are also free from sin. And the devil is strong and persistent. But guess what? There is somebody stronger. I know a guy. Right? I know a guy. Luke chapter 11, verse 21, 22 says this. For when a strong man, this is Jesus speaking, it's red letters in there, okay? When a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace... Where is Satan the God of, small g? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, right here. So he guards it. He's strong. It's his possession. His possessions are safe because he guards it well. Verse 22 says this, Until 
Someone even stronger and attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. You know what his belongings are? Y'all. You. Scripturally, all y'all, it says. All y'all. It's from the South, right? That's the, uh, that's the Arkansas version of the Bible. All y'all. See, in this, in this story, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that, that thinks because he has the power to remove Satan. It's a, it's an, it's a scene right after an exorcism, and the, the crowd is like, well, you must be the prince of demons because you're casting out demons. And Jesus says, a house divided what? Cannot stand. It's going to crumble and fall. Then he adds this nice little piece at the end showing them who is stronger. Satan has power over these people, over us, and guards us well. But, there's one who is stronger. That one who is stronger is Christ Jesus. He strips him of his weapons, he cleans house, and he carries off us. So, so I have a question. Who is it that lives inside of you? Now, if anybody says Satan, we're going to pray for you right after church, right? It's right up here, lay hands on, we'll do whatever we need to do, right? Who is it that lives inside of you? Okay, one person believes it. Who lives inside of you? Okay? Now, if you believe that, if you believe that, raise your hand. If you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. But if you believe that, I got a little something for you. Galatians 2, verse 20. You better write that down. Paul writes, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Scriptural truth. Oh, I got another one. Colossians 1 verse 27. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. You know what a Gentile is? How many of you are Jewish? Anybody Jewish? That would be cool. Guess what? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Gentiles are non-Jews. Okay? Period. So you're a Gentile. So Paul's writing, for God wanted us to know the riches. It's for us too. And this is the secret. There's a huge secret. This is the secret, he writes. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in the glory of Jesus. So, Jesus says in John chapter 12, The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself, Jesus says. So, in light of those passages of, of Scripture, who is stronger, Jesus or Satan? Yeah, if you got that one wrong, we need to talk, right? Jesus is stronger, right? So hear this. He is Satan. If Jesus lives in us, Satan is weaker than we are. Because of the power of Christ that lives where? In you. Now he may have, he may have great weapons. And he may do some crazy stuff. 
But the Spirit of God lives in you. Therefore, you are more powerful than Satan. You know that? That's good news today. Don't give him so much credit. You cannot overestimate him. Because, <laughs> who? He's a jerk. I said that once. I'll say it again. He messes. But you cannot overestimate him. Don't give him so much credit. He is a defeated loser. He will be cast out and everyone will be drawn back to Christ. Christ has won. Satan has lost. We already know the score of the game. It is one, capital O-N-E, to zero. Period. But we don't live that way. See, I, I think, and this is true for me, so it's got to be true for you, that we know a whole lot more Bible than we practice. Mm. So that's been pretty good so far, and now it's going to get interesting. The next reality is this. So we, we okay, I, I think I've built you a pretty good watch here. We're stronger than Satan because the power of Christ dwells in us. Don't overestimate him. But the problem is this, that sometimes Satan becomes our scapegoat. Yeah? You know where that term comes from? Let me, let me tell you what Merriam-Webster's dictionary it says. Uh, it says this. It says, a scapegoat is one that bears the blame for others, one that is the object of irrational hostility. The fall guy, the whipping boy. Have any of you ever been a whipping boy, so to speak? How many of you have ever been the whipper? How many of you blame somebody else and made them the scapegoat? How many of you have received that same kind of mess? Did you know that scapegoat is actually a, a, an amazing, wonderful, great term according to Scripture? Do you realize that? Guess what? Go to Leviticus chapter 16. This is good stuff. Leviticus chapter 16, God is giving instructions to the Levites and Aaron and, and the whole council of Israel about this is how you worship, this is what you do, this is how you offer sacrifices. Families, they had to offer sacrifice often, yearly, sometimes, you know, just depending on the season, you know, all this stuff to atone for, our, for your sins. If we had to do that today, we'd have a lot of trouble. Right? We don't have to because of the grace of Christ. But it says this in verse 6 through 10, Leviticus 16. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with God. Then he must take two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. Okay, two goats. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat is to be reserved as an offering to the Lord, means sacrificed, killed, and burnt up, and which will carry the sins of the people away in the wilderness. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the one goat. Then verse 10, it says this. The other goat. The what? Oh, there it is. The scapegoat chosen by Lot will be sent away. He will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azael in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Now, if we want anybody to be our scapegoat, who should it be? Jesus the Christ. In terms of Leviticus 16, Jesus is our scapegoat. He is the one that atoned, made right your sins before the presence of God. You can't do it. 
No matter how many offerings or sacrifices you give, it cannot be done by you. He is the one who has taken the weight of this world, which Satan is the ruler of, onto his shoulders so that we may be forgiven. Maybe you need to rethink your understanding of scapegoat. See, Satan's not going to purify us from our sins, right? He's the one that makes us do that. He's the one that causes us. He's the one that instituted this. Genesis, ladies, apple, mess, men, passive, silent. Stop blaming Satan for your actions. I mean, being an adult, you have to admit your mistakes when you commit them. You have to confess before Jesus and others, and Christ will be your scapegoat according to Scripture and carry those sins away from you, never to be thought of again. See, Satan should be taken seriously, but not allowed to overtake us, and he is not your scapegoat. That leads me to the next reality, and it's this. Sometimes, I'm going out on a limb here, this may be challenging, but sometimes it's your own decisions that get you into trouble. It's like an aha moment for you, ain't it? How many of you have ever made a bad decision? Raise your hand. The rest of you are liars. Just kidding. We've all made bad decisions. I mean, how many of you have made a decision and then blamed the devil for it? Oh, the devil made me do it. Yeah, I have. No, who could it be? Satan? There's three of us that know that's Dana Carvey, Saturday Night Live. (laughs) You guys rock. I knew it was Voose. You guys rock. Loved the church lady. I was going to do the church lady dance. Remember that dance? My lower back is too messed up. I couldn't do it. But picture me doing that in my devil shirt. It'd be fun. The reality is this, kids. I'm telling you. It's our own selfish, sin-filled decisions that get us into trouble. Period. Oftentimes, the situations in our lives that bring us the most mess. Think about how many times you've messed up. And think about the greatest messes that have happened in your life. Sometimes that is done by your own decision. We decided to well, well, we'll take them up on their offer. We decided, maybe, I'll, I'll just have one more. It'll be okay. We decided that well, just, just once isn't going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's, it'll be okay. You decided to fill in the blank. See, it's our choices. Every day I, I, I send my kids to school, I think every day I say this, make good choices. Make the best possible choice you can for that day. Because if you're looking at a couple of things, and this one's like, eh, and this one's better, take the better. Because the ant eh is going to get you in trouble. See, we complain. Now, maybe this is just me. I'll speak to myself. I complain when things don't go my way. You never do, I'm sure. We complain that God's not answering our prayers. That Satan's meddling in our lives and and he's distracting us because because God is speaking so clearly to me that that maybe Satan's got these earmuffs over my ears and I can't hear him. Maybe God is standing on the top of a mountain shouting at the top of his lungs and you just aren't able to hear it 
because you are listening for something specific and are missing what God is saying to you. We tune our ears to what we want to hear. It's called selective listening. And if you're married, ladies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Men, you don't have a clue. Because it's you that's doing it, right? We tune out God often because we want to hear something. And he's speaking, and we ain't hearing it because he's not speaking what we want to hear. And our decision is to reject it. I believe that we may very well be the, the, the big cause of things that don't go God's way in our lives. If we attune our listening ears. We tell that to the kids. Put your listening ears on. If we do that with Christ, our decision will be better. I mean, remember Romans 6? We just read it. If you can't remember, it's short-term memory loss, right? Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to what? Obey or serve. That's right. You can be a slave to what? Sin that leads to death. Or you can choose to obey whom? God, which leads to righteous living. This is not rocket science. This is not brain surgery. It's not hard. Many of the mistakes in our lives can be completely avoided, but are a result of the decisions that we make. Now you can see up on your screens, I got a test. We're going to have fun with this. I, I want to take this just a step further. Okay? So, so far, what have we understood? We've understood that you can't underestimate Satan, but that you can't overestimate him either, either because the power of who lives in us? Jesus, and who's stronger than Satan? In the conversation, but it's not, right? We blame him, we use him as our scapegoat, and our decisions get us into trouble. So I got a little test. This is kind of a, maybe a heart check, or maybe a check of, of the level of the toxicity of Satan re- residing in you, and maybe his level of control and power in your life. Y'all ready for that? Yeah, probably not, but I'm going to do it anyway. First, first is this. You are most like Satan when you accuse others. Let that sink in for a second. You are most like Satan himself when you accuse others. See, the very first mention of the term Satan in the Bible, and we understand that in Genesis it was the serpent, blah, blah, blah. The first time it says Satan, my, in the New Living Translation, it's in 1 Chronicles 21.1. Remember last week, Pastor said, we need to pay attention to first mentions. Those are important things. First time Satan is mentioned, it says Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, according to the Old Testament law at that time, that was a sin. I can't explain it, don't know why, all that stuff, but that was just the way it was. So Satan rose up and caused David and Israel to sin. That's not a good sign. The very first scene where we see Satan uh, labeled as someone or something is in the Old Testament book of Job, chapters 1 and 2, where it says, Satan the accuser began to meddle. It's the very first label for Satan. 
an accuser. So I have a few questions for you. Now, please don't raise your hand on this. This is stuff you need to think about in here. Have you ever accused someone of doing something or saying something that they did not do? Have you ever said something to someone else about someone else that you just assumed was true but in fact was not? That's an accusation. Have you ever fabricated something in your mind about someone, judging, and you did not know whether it was true or not, and you told it to others as if it were truth? It's an accusation. Have you ever been so upset at somebody that you said something that that caused someone pain? even though you knew it was not true about them. It's an accusation. Have you ever made up anything to get somebody fired or get them into trouble just so that you could advance or get ahead of them maybe in your workplace or in a situation with some other person? That's an, exa- uh, uh, an accusation. Have you ever been an accuser? Let, let me help you with that last one. The answer is yes. We all have. We all have accused someone of something. Accusations take lots of forms. Gossip, lying, deceit, judgment. I I think you get the picture. Now, Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be labeled as an accuser. I am one and have been one. But I don't want to be labeled as that. I mean, that's the first label we have for Satan, right? That's not a good thing. You don't want to associate with that. In fact, the psalmist has some pretty harsh things to say about an accuser. Jot this down, Psalm 71, 13. He writes, Bring disgrace and destruction on my accusers. Humiliate and shame those who want to harm me. Have you ever wanted to pray that over somebody? God smoked them. I don't know what that means, but we want them smoke. <laughs> Psalm 109.29 says, May my accusers be clothed with disgrace. May their humiliation cover them like a cloak. I really do think that we are absolutely at our worst. Outside of killing people, right? I think we're absolutely at, at, at one of our worst when we accuse people. We lie, we cheat, we deceive. We can, we can do anything we want to to try to destroy their reputation or make them look bad or humiliate them in front of others. We fabricate things. I couldn't tell you the number of times that accusations have been hurled my way in my 12 years of ministry. It's crazy. And none of them true. But all done to try to get even with me or something happened or this or that or the other. I mean, I could list them. We ain't got all day, though, right? And that's probably the same for you. See, every single one of them, in their untruth, they're painful. They hurt. They pierce our very souls. And yet we do it to others at different times. 
I think it's interesting that even in an encounter with Satan, face to face, the devil himself, that Michael, the archangel, one of the most powerful angels according to scripture, did not accuse, he knew better than to be labeled an accuser, Jude, a little obscure book in the New Testament. Jude chapter 1 verse 9 says this, and they're, they're, he's writing about the, the situation that happened in heaven and how all that worked out where Satan got kicked out. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, dare not accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Didn't accuse him. Just said, the Lord rebuke you. In parentheses, it says, this took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. What was going on? I don't have a clue. But they were arguing, and Michael knew better than to accuse him of anything. It's back in the Old Testament, and our understanding is that Satan is the accuser. God is not a fan. Zechariah chapter 3 says this, the angel, uh, Then the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Yeshua. Verse 2, Then the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. God rebukes the ultimate accuser. And I wonder when we accuse... You're accusers, so tell me how that's going for you, huh? Second part of the test is this. And unfortunately, this is a truth that I... It's, it's just true. That hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 say this. This is God speaking to Cain. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. This is the next line. Sin is crouching at the door. Eager to what? But you must subdue it and become its what? Yeah. So I wish the next line says, Cain understood, he subdued it, and all was good. But it's not. Cain says, uh, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You see, Cain was so hurt. He presented an offering to God, and God said, this isn't acceptable. This is not an acceptable offering. Your brother's is acceptable. Yours is not. I accept your brother's, not yours. And rather than moving on to that, bringing God another offering, giving God another opportunity to, to accept him, as he was hurting, he decided to take it out on somebody else, his closest person to him. Now, I know we never do that. We never take our pain and frustration out on those people that are closest to us. I don't think we kill them. We sure hurt them. See, hurting people hurt people. You all, we all, I have been hurt. 
But we have to understand the truth of that scripture, that sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and become its master because Christ lives where? In you. And all too often we allow sin and Satan to control our lives and we make these stupid decisions. We say certain things, we act a certain way that hurts somebody terribly and then later on we what? Regret it. But you know what's worse than that? Is when you don't regret it at all. We are most like Satan when we accuse. Remember earlier? We discovered that we are a slave to whatever we choose to obey. So where are you going with your pain? Your sense of loss, your frustration, your anger, your guilt. Are you freely giving that away to others by your words and actions? Because I can assure you nobody wants it even though it is free. Did you get that? Are you giving it away free because nobody wants it? Better keep it to yourself. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, a good per person produces what? Good things from the treasury of a what? Oh, this is going to sting in a second. And an evil person produces what? From the treasury of an? What you say flows from what is in your? Yeah. What's flowing out of you and to whom? Don't allow Satan to use your pain to inflict pain in others. Don't allow your decisions to hurt other people. Take them to Christ and allow him to deal with you and redeem you and all that is in you. So the final thing I want you to understand, is, I mean, that's, kind of, that's tough, right? We're most like Satan when we accuse others. That's tough stuff. And hurting people hurt people. I want to provide, uh, that's, you know, I want to provide just a little light for you at the end. The next blanks are this. And, and uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. His name is Fred Ferrer. I don't know if Freddie's here or not. Um, he's part of the church. Some of you know him. I told him I wasn't going to give him credit for it, but I decided I would. So this is such a good statement. Um, he said this in a conversation we had a few weeks ago. He said this, that we must turn our backs on what turns us away from God. Now, that's good stuff. We must turn our backs on what turns us away from God. Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 20 through 22 says this, The soul who sins is the one who will die. That is not good news for you because you're a sinner. Right? So am I. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked man will be charged against him. Verse 21, one of my favorite, if not my single favorite word in all of the Bible is what? But. I love that word because if, you, if you're reading scripture and you see the word B-U-T, you better pay attention because something has happened, but something else has taken place. That's good stuff. You need to pay attention to that word. But, 
Okay, remember, we're going to die if we, because we're sinners, because of our wicked deeds. But if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. Fulfillment of Scripture is found in Christ Jesus. A couple thousand years later, thousand years, a thousand years later, Christ fulfilled the Scripture by His death and resurrection on the cross. If a wicked man turns from his sins, verse 22, it says this, it's not on there, but you need to look at it. It says, none of these offenses, the sins he committed will be remembered against him because of the righteous things he has done, he will live. That promise is found in Jesus Christ. Who lives where? Hmm. Verse 30, or Ezekiel 33 also says this. If I tell the righteous man that he will surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and does evil, none of the righteous things he will done will be remembered, and he will die for the evil he has done. A thousand years or so change later, Jesus is looking at a crowd of people who say, We called you Lord, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and goes, I know you say that, but I really don't remember who you are. Huh? But in verse 14 in Ezekiel 33, it says, And if I say to the wicked man, you must surely die. But he turns away from his sin and does what is just and right. If he gives back the pledge he took for a loan, or if he returns what he's stolen, and he follows the decrees that give life and does no evil, he will surely live, he will not die. That can be you. Plain and simple, that can be you. Sin and Satan are the things that turn us away from God. Our own decisions... See, if you turn your back on that which turns you away from God, you will surely live. Last thing, you might want to jot this down. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The author of Hebrews says this, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. And... <laughs> Gosh, this word just keeps popping up. Verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today with a capital T so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you hear that? You can't get away from it. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So what is today called? Today. No, this is trouble. Watch this. This is good. Today is called today. Tomorrow will be today, tomorrow. And today will be yesterday, tomorrow, but it is today, today. I'll speak slower for some of you. Today is today. Tomorrow will be today, tomorrow, and today will be yesterday, tomorrow, but today, it's today. You can't get around it. You can't 
get around that today is today. So if we believe anything about what the Word of God says, and if we believe that Christ dwells in us, we have the power, and he has the power over Satan, therefore theologically and logically we have the power over Satan because of the power of Christ, and today is today, we should encourage one another daily. Don't underestimate or overestimate the power of Satan. Don't use him as your scapegoat. Take responsibility for your own decisions. Don't accuse others and don't allow your hurt to cause hurt in others. And since it is called today, turn your backs on that which turns you away from God and be strengthening and encouraging towards one another. What would it look like if we lived that way? It would change our country. It would change our world. That's a challenge. Today is today. So I'm going to ask the, uh, the band to come, come up. Have them come up. And, and we're going to end our time this way today. Satan is real. This mess about him is truth. We have the power over him. The spirit of Jesus dwells in us. And we have the power to say, Get behind me. You shall not pass. But sometimes we don't take that. See, oftentimes we, we're oppressed. We're put down, we're downtrodden, and we, we hover in a corner and allow these hands to come in and, and continue to su- subdue us and oppress us and press us down. Yet the power of Jesus does the exact opposite. It allows us to stand up and rise and be healed and delivered. We can live this way. But that's not the way we are intended to live. So if over the last few weeks or days or hours or months or whatever it is, you feel like you have been in this position, if you can't see this, this is what Anthony's been doing this morning. It's somebody down in a corner crouching in the hands of oppression pressing in. If that has been you, we want to give you the opportunity to pray for God's deliverance and revelation in your life. So if you're able, would you please stand with us this morning? This is you, and you can see it up on the screen. God says, you do not have to live that way. He says, you can say, get behind me, Satan. You shall not pass. You ain't getting up in here. I'm done with you. I have power over you. I'm finished with this mess. That's you today. These may, this may look just like a stage and some stairs up here and whatever, but this can become the altar of God for you in your life. If that is you, there's no better place than in the house of God to stand at his altar, kneel at his altar, lay down in front of his altar, and give it all to him. We want to give you that opportunity this morning if you want to take it. And Pastor Terry, and and we've got a prayer team, they will come up and they will pray with you or for you. You don't need them. You can do it on your own, but they will be here to help you through that process if you want it. You have a direct line to Jesus. You don't have to go through us. You have the red line sitting on your desk at home. You can call him anytime you want. But today, if this is you, and you're done messing, you can come right here and call on the name of Christ.